Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome to Swell Season. I'm your co-host, Ben Pomeroy. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Brewer. How's your pie? My pie is fine. Oh, man. So just for listeners know... We're broadcasting from a conference room in my office here in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Yes. Um, you know, basically, KPS Studios uh, has uh, gone under uh, renovation and all that at the current moment. So we are uh, trying to make the most. Yeah, we have a nice little room. Nice. Yeah, I like it, warm. actually. It's very Quiet. Comfy. It's a uh, co-working space. It's warm. <laughs> um, before we get into our... Feature guest tonight, Chris Clark of Shaper Studios, who will be calling in from Southern California to talk about his amazing company and board design and the industry as, as a whole. Um, Tyler and I, like, what's going on? Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna chat a little bit about this Hurricane Michael swell. Um, we had I, I was in a different location, and this is a crazy difference of how. One swell and not that far away from each other. Yeah. It was entirely two different experiences. It, it felt like the entire west end of uh, Long Island kind of missed the swell or didn't really hit it right. Like Rockaway, Long Beach seemed kind of, you had to know where to go. And, and I think you had to pick your spots and pick the time. It was not pumping all day. I woke up mad early and got to Rockaway and it was just a closeout. I mean, it was just not working. Uh, so, but then I saw photos, uh, places where it was going off, especially where you were. Yeah. I mean, and I, and this isn't any way to brag because I was sort of out of commission for all of last year and my session. Brag, maybe. It's cool. It's <laughs> yeah. Really no, cool. it was just, it was, this is a sort of classic East Coast, uh, experience in that it, the session wasn't as, um, Epic as some of my friends who were out in Montauk, uh, in a certain cove there. But uh, I was in Rhode Island, and I got in the water around three o'clock. And there was like six guys out on this point break that I love that I haven't surfed since I was a kid. And I grew up surfing yeah. this break. That's where sort of I cut my teeth, mm. literally on some rocks um, back in the day. And it was just it was east facing. Funny enough, and the wind was was. Um, Northwest. Northwest. And it was just your classic, like, shoulder, like, set waves, maven head high. So it was a lot smaller than what was on the south side of the island. Uh, 
I'm not going to give away too much here. Yeah. But um, <laughs> anyway. Um, got to be careful. Got to be careful. But that was just getting too much wind. It was just totally scoured. It was too exposed. It was big. Yeah. Um, and so I went for this. I went for the, uh, to a different aspect. And it was just lovely. I mean, it was yeah. like, so it was a combo of like really fun waves plus light crowd and like catching up with like a friend of mine, that li- like a local that really? lives there. I want to hear. I want to hear a different story. So I want to hear a story about how you got harassed. So yeah, and I'm not gonna like sound off too much on this, but um, because I wish the gentleman was sitting across from me so we could really get into it. But you know, it's six of us out, and it's it's dusk. I mean, it's yeah. it's almost dark, and. Um, uh, you know, we could debate whether or not I dropped do? in on what this guy. What did you do? But it, it would be the <laughs> debate would certainly be there because I, I looked around and didn't see anyone, and he must have made a section and snuck out of somewhere. But I was having the ride of the evening, yeah. just like cruising along on this single fin that I keep nice. uh, at my folks' place. It's a Illusion uh, Juice six mm. one single fin. Oh, Dave Parmenter. There what? you go. Boom. Never get to ride it, and this was the perfect wave for it. And I'm just, I'm just like all like rail to rail, just just loving this thing. And out of nowhere, it feels like I like hit a brick, and I look to my left, and I've been knocked by this dude off my board. <laughs> and I'm like, this dude. I'm like, I'm like, what? What, like, who are you? Like, what was that about? Like, give me a heads up. If I dropped in, call me off. Yeah. Like, call me a dick. Whatever. Like, I'm not, like, no physical, like, are we, you know, is this no really, need for it. Is it? Yeah. And I'm, I go up to him, I introduce myself, I like de escalate. I'm like, yo, like, what happened there? Yeah. Like, what happened there? What did I, he say? And he was like, oh, you almost hit me three times on that wave and I was fending for my life. And I'm like, I don't think so, but we're going to leave it there. So, and and we've talked about etiquette in the past and like you know these are one of the things where it's like debatable like if I dropped in on it again if I did my apologies but you just call that person off and that person gets up like you the aggro move here um, a very interesting new chapter uh, sort of bummed about it yeah um, but whatever this is East Coast stuff and um, I've, I've, I've got the solution Tell it's me. a product idea. I think every wetsuit manufacturer should should put mandatory on the suits a horn. Yes, there should be a horn on every wetsuit, and you just push that button or have something that just lets people know you're coming down you're the coming line. Coming down the line, there's gonna be a lot of hockey, right? Yeah, because it's it's an awareness thing. Like exactly. Most of the time, this shit is like. People didn't see someone it's, rather than simply being a dick. Exactly. And, and, and then it, but then it escalates into something else. And if you do the horn, you can say, you heard me. You can't say you can't hurt yeah. me unless you're deaf, deaf, like Cody Graham or something. But no. But in the meantime, let's get to our Let's get into it. So first <laughs> yes. then, yes. we have a big question here. Where can we find, when, where can our listeners find Swell Season? Well, you can find us on... Swell Season and Surf Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spreaker, MixCloud, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Awesome. And our usual broadcasting location is kpiss.fm out of Bushwick. Tonight, of course, uh, we are in my office here in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. But um, but we love KPIS and we love the Golden Stream. 
That's true. Now, and let's quickly announce before we jump into our yes. feature guest uh, of Chris Clark, we are doing a live event in... We're doing an Asbury Park Yacht Club. We'll be doing this on uh, next, this Thursday night, the 18th at 8 p.m. We'll be at the Asbury Park Yacht Club where we'll be hosting a live Q&A with um, who? Who are our guests? We have well, Gianca Lazarus. Love uh, that name. An amazing photographer. Phenomenal. Super talented. Can't wait to, to chat with her. And John Apito Grosburn Surf, oh, an Asbury sick. local shaper. That's going to be an awesome conversation. Because he also, from from what I gather from uh, Chris, he also works with Trin. I think. So. Yes, he Chris. does. He cra- he crafts out of out of their. Uh, he shapes out of um, their building. So that's going to be a really cool conversation. This Thursday, 8 p.m. at the um, Asbury Yacht Club um, and Asbury Park Yacht Club in Jersey. So these two Brooklyn boys are going to be heading down to Jersey. Folks, if you need information, go to www.apyachtclub.com. The APY. Yachtclub.com. Why are we having trouble with that name? I don't know. But anyway... um, Let's get to our main guest. We're going to be calling him uh, in California. Do you want to give him the nice intro? Let's give Christopher Clarkie the nice, warm intro that you wrote up here. It's on our thing here. Oh, okay. We didn't do our normal intro. We didn't do our normal intro. So out of sorts. I know. Well, Shaper Studios is a global network of board crafting workshops from Southern California to Chile to Montreal, Canada. Shaper Studios is also a clothing brand and retail shop. And we are about to call Chris Clark on the phone in Southern California. He was in Rockaway uh, for the uh, It Doesn't Not Work Design Symposium, which Swell Season participated back in October. And he came in and did a live demo of the shaping. He, he made this beautiful board in like an hour. ASIM. ASIM board in, uh, a, in a shaping bay that was right next to the Rockaway Beach Surf Club. And that was so cool to see a master in action teaching all the other shapers who brought their cool creations uh, to this show. And then he was in this panel discussion, which is cool that we can have a part two tonight yeah. to get into the design side, get into the industry, and how he's sort of rejiggering the model for how to make money as a shaper in this dynamic. Also, time. very stylish, goofy foot. Surfs oh, very well. Surfing. I got to surf with him. So. I bet. That was really nice. He, he, was, he was very gentlemanly in the water. All right, so let's, let's, hit that, let's hit that speakerphone. The number you have dialed is not in service. Ah, so oh well. the number and try your call again. Thank <laughs> so now you. you know how authentic this is. We're going to try it out. <laughs> there we go. I think it's working. Chris, how you doing? Good, how are you? We're good. Chris, thanks for coming back on. I, you know, it was, we had such a fun time uh, at the Rockaway Beach Surf Club. It was a bit rowdy, so it's cool. And I think we've left it like, hey, we need to get you back on the show one on one. And uh, here we are via speakerphone. But we, Ty and I, wanted to sort of jump right into where we, we were, where we sort of left off at that panel discussion on the state of um, the surfboard industry. <laughs> And um, we can't let it go. We can't let it go. But but it seemed like you had riddled a solution a bit on being a financially solvent shaper in and retailer in this dynamic uh, state of the industry. 
and and Ron Shine, who was one of the guests, was talking about how little profit um, most hand shapers make per per board, like a few hundred bucks. But you were able to sort of like boast that you know you were making a go of it. You had a solid business, and some of that is based on the the community of classes that you created. But let's just start with bring us into like how the the Shaper Studio functions as a business and then the community building from there. Sure. Um, yeah, I think Ron's not a very intelligent dude and he definitely understands the economics of surfboard building and the, um, he brings a lot, he sheds a lot of light on it. Uh, I also come from, I have an MBA background and have a good understanding of finance and economics and when I did build out the Shaper Studios model, it wasn't necessarily what it is today, but it was, um, it had a business plan. Um, and I'm not sure how many board builders out there um, start with a business plan or start with more of a project or a backyard venture and all of a sudden they have to design a business plan to fit that um, as their occupation. Um, so as far as Shaper Studios goes, we... Uh, as far as it was um, we really saw that there was only at a certain level could you compete on price for the actual product. So there's price comparison and there's price gouging and a lot of things um, that dictate the, the price of a surfboard in the marketplace um, regardless of um, technology and stuff like that. So like apples to apples is what people are doing when they're comparing with hand shaper to hand shaper, uh, machine shaper to machine shape, um, overseas to overseas, like kind of comparing apples to apples. And then you also have them comparing, uh, from a, a, an abilities level of beginners saying, well, what's my entry point into the sport? I can't really afford, um, a certain amount on a board. So I'm going to go with a, a lower price point. Um, so you, but, you're, but at the end of the day, you're comparing those. When we were doing hand shapes or custom shapes, we're comparing apples to apples with other hand shapes or custom shapes, but then we're also competing with understanding who our target demographic was, and if that's a beginner to intermediate level surfer, we knew that we're also competing with lower level price point boards. Um, so at the outset, we had to kind of compare, we had to be comparable in the marketplace to actually sell um, our boards. But what we do above and beyond that is the service, um, which is an experience. And what we say at Shaper Studios, we, we don't sell any surfboards, we actually sell an experience. Um, and so knowing that, over time, we've increased the value of what that experience is. Um, and we've also increased our brand equity as we've grown and expanded. And so with the elevation of both of those items, we've been able to demand a price for our product, which is an experience, is higher than what's compared to the marketplace. So somebody's not coming to Shaper Studios to buy a surfboard that's comparable to another surfboard in the marketplace. They're coming to us because they're wanting a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And with that, we can, theoretically, we can charge whatever we want um, 
as far as it relates to that once in a life, what somebody's willing to pay for that once in a lifetime experience, not what somebody's willing to pay for a surfboard. Spoken like a true MBA. Did you know this man? This guy has an MBA. Now he's got it. Yeah, now I do. Now you do. Yeah. So clearly, he's thought you thought a lot about the the business side of it, uh, Chris. And and it's it's awesome that you've been able to come at it from a different angle and different vantage point. Um, you know, it it seems like to me like you you are adopting a a bit of a franchise model too. Is that correct? Like. Is it, is it, are you able to generate multiple revenue streams with this business? Because it seems like you have the, the experience, but you also have merchandise, you have uh, coffees in some of the, some of the uh, locations, you have other, uh, you know, kind of goods and, ser- of goods and services. Can you lay out a little bit of like some of the revenue streams, if, if you don't mind? I'm kind of curious, and especially with the franchising model, how you go about that. Yeah, um, so the franchising model is the easiest way to explain it. It's a little bit different than a true franchise. Um, we actually license the brand and intellectual property mm-hmm. to ourselves in certain locations and to um, partners in other locations, just depending on the partnership, relationship, the, the location, how easy it is to do business abroad and how easy it is to be an actual equity owner abroad because mm-hmm. most of our locations are not in the U.S. Um, so it, 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 it's um, physical, the physical brick-and-mortar flagships are all their own business entities. Mm-hmm. And then myself and some of the founders, we actually have a, a, an entity outside of all of the, the brick-and-mortar stores that has ownership of the intellectual property and owns the brand. And so even, for example, in San Diego, where we own uh, 100% of that location, we still license the brand to that location because it's a separate entity. So we've, we've protected ourselves and our brand in that way, mm-hmm. um, as far as the, structure, the business structure goes. Um, and then as far as the revenue streams go, that's been an evolving thing for us. Um, it's very interesting how we built it out. Mm-hmm. It, it started as a workshop, and it was super simple, single revenue stream. It was just surfboards, and mainly our differentiator between everyone else building surfboards was, was that we were a place you could go and learn. From there, we, we expanded and we created a revenue uh, model around membership. And so our membership model was after somebody comes through and has a great experience, and they're addicted to building surfboards, we need to give them another way they can come back and spend their money um, and spend their time. And so we developed the, the membership model around there. Then we expanded into retail. So all these individuals were coming in to make a board. They needed a leash, a traction pad, a board back. And so right out of the gate, we, were, we adopted a, a small retail model just on the hard goods side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about year two, we we expanded into our first kind of full flagship location, which was on a street front and gave us the ability to sell other retail items. We had more foot traffic, so we started carrying clothing and apparel. Um, from there, we kind of did... 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And autopsy is a big experience, and we figured, we, we equated it, um, or actually one of our business partners equated it a lot to a cafe. People wouldn't just come to build a board or spend money. They would come to just hang out and be around board building and share in this community aspect. So one of our partners looked at it and he was like, this is a lot like a cafe. It's like, it's like a meetup spot, a clubhouse. And so we opened up our first surf cafe in Montreal um, about three years ago. We had Mitch Martin um, on the show uh, and I visited September. Amazing place. Yeah, yeah. Mitch and Ravi uh, were on the show. We're the first ones from Shaper that were on the show. And um, yeah, great partners. Um, had a great vision and basically took what we had built for a number of years and then just took it to the next level. Um, so that was really cool. And then what we're doing down in Chile right now is we're building out um, a beach house. Well, it's been open for about two years, but it's a place you can actually go and stay. Um, this year or this their summer or winter, we're um, expanding into a, a cafe experience there. So we're bringing that location will actually have multiple revenue streams in one brick and mortar. So it will have the board building or workshop aspect. It will have the retail. It will have a stay component. Um, it will have um, the food and beverage component. And um, they've been doing search lessons and circuit rental for a long time. So it's kind of everything in one. And it will be our first flagship that um, has that many revenue streams coming through one Location. That's yeah. incredible. I mean, it, it is really interesting how the instead of simply surf has always been sold both as a sport, but also sort of as a lifestyle, as a romance. But what you guys are doing with the hands-on integration into the craft side of it gives that that legitimate, that authentic feel of like. I'm actually part of this. I'm not simply buying um, a product or staying somewhere or a magazine or a movie, just passively taking it in. I'm getting, I'm like engaging with this. And that seems to be, you see this in other, in in cooking and in other um, fields where there's, there seems to be a real hunger right now for experience, but also sort of, connection to the product they use is that and you're getting that you're clearly finding that in the marketplace but you're getting that told to you by the people that are using it the feedback you're getting yeah it's it's actually the experiential retail is not a new concept it's just new to surfing um and 
when we were first starting, we didn't have a, a model to follow necessarily. Um, there was no nobody doing what we were doing. Um, but the closest thing that everybody will get right away is Build-A-Bear. Um, you can go buy a stuffed bear anywhere. But when you go to Build-A-Bear, you create a relationship with that bear, a memory around building that bear. Whether, I mean, all you did was take out the, the shell, stuff it with some stuffing, put a heart in it, and take out a pair of clothes. But that's exactly, it's, it's an exact parallel to the experience you get around building your own surfboard. Um, and like you said, there's, there's places you can go and learn how to cook recipes as a group. There's um, the oldest one is probably pottery, you know, going to the places and doing like the little ceramics and painting the ceramics and dipping it. Um, there's now there's motorcycle shops you can go and it's a community sort of facing thing where you can go be around other bike builders. They've had it for bicycles in San Francisco forever. Um, and uh, probably another great one is home brewing. There's a home brewer. Nice. It's basically the shape of studios of brewing beer. Um, so it's not a, a new concept, but it's, I think it was just new to surfing, and that's something we saw an opportunity, not just because nobody was doing it, we had a great idea, it was because we, we knew that we would be successful at it because we loved to teach and we loved being around people so and, and community. So not every the catalyst. Not every shaper is a teacher uh, or a board teacher. So there, there's a level of where like you have to train or you recruit appropriately to scale this up? Yeah, I, I got that question a lot. Really. I don't get that question too much anymore, but the, the people are uh, oftentimes they're like, how do you grow this? Because it, it takes such a unique individual to not only have the skill set to shape, but also to be a teacher and also to be a teacher that people like. Um, like that must, if, if you're selling experience, then that must be your, your main, um, you know, barrier to growth is going to be finding more of these people like you and Derek. Derek's the other one that founded Shaper Studios with me. Um, it's actually been super organic and the people who are passionate about it find us. Um, they either come from within, we've hired a number of members, people who came in for a lesson and ended up staying, they became a member, were around for a couple years, really knew the DNA of the brand and kind of what we stood for and were in a place where they they were looking for a new opportunity and and just wanted no, no, to work in no other place than this clubhouse that they spent most of their time anyways. So it's been super organic. The partners that we've found around the world also have been super organic and we've been very selective, but also very fortunate to find people that um, really have bought into the the Shaper DNA and that story. It from I remember we were talking about this at the Does Not Work show. How you don't rush into a place. You tend to take your time and try to find the right people in that community who are the stewards of that community. Is that correct? Like, how is that vetting process? Go, because I think for for I just preface like as a New York surfer, one of the my biggest gripes are, are always people who come from out of town and then try to monetize on the surfing here. 
and then take off like a few years later. And that's always been an issue. And I love like, you know, it's, it's, it's a transient city, you know, so it happens. But, uh, you know, so I love that concept of the way you do is very carefully and very respectful. Exactly. It, it just makes too much sense to all of us. I think any surfer listening to this podcast today will, will get it. Like, uh, the last thing you want is for somebody to walk, walk into your, your search team that you've invested in and, and you have a community already built and kind of strong arm them into something. From a business standpoint, you just, you just wouldn't be successful. And we, we understand that first and foremost. Um, if you look at the places we've expanded to, every place that we've opened, people just scratch their head and they're like, why are they in Vancouver, Canada? <laughs> okay, if they're in Vancouver, Canada, they must be on the island. No, no, no. Neither, no. Nowhere near, uh, sir. <laughs> we're six hours from Tofino, and it's a ferry ride, it's a full day commitment. Um, and yet, people, I mean, we, we've, we did a lot of um, thinking before that, that went into, into play, but um, we don't go to the places that are necessarily the first places you would think to open these. Um, and it's mainly due to your point, which is finding a community that's creating it and like begging for it almost and sees the value and how much value it adds to the community. We talked to a number of certain communities about um, opening and, and we talked to a number of per- perspective partners um, and the first thing in those conversations was like if you think we can add value to your surf community then let's continue the conversation if not if the surf if you the surf community are telling us like it's probably going to be an uphill battle like not sure if the community is going to embrace it like the conversation just can end at that point because we're not going to force it um and we're not building the business for tomorrow or success next year. We're, we're building the business for 30 years out. Um, and that's very important to, to understand is um, we're not trying to be in Huntington Beach on Main Street tomorrow because, like, that's where we should be in everybody's mind. We're um, trying to be a little bit more strategic about it and a little bit more long-term thinking. Nice. So I got to ask, like, do you, do you feel – as as a shaper and, and a businessman, do you, do you feel like you're operating outside the realm of the surfboard shaper's world? And do you feel accepted by other shapers? Uh, is there any hostility to what you do? Do they accept it? Or are they just kind of, you know, take it or leave it? I'm just kind of curious, like, how, uh, especially being in San Diego, like, how that industry views your business and what you're doing. Is this, the, is this the drama portion of this segment? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I didn't know if it would create drama. I thought we're, like, we're all bros. That's right. We're trying to go with this. It's sort of, but it does. Grab some, grab some listeners. Back, <laughs> but it does back into why Main Beach, Huntington, you know, Main Street, Huntington Beach might not be the right location. As you said, you, you think about where you set up and um, more strategic. Yeah, but 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 at the end of the day, like you you are kind of like uh, I think it's interesting because you kind of are operating a little outside of the normal the normal model, and so for for men, I imagine a lot of shapers look at this. Some could be looking at it with joy because people now appreciate their work, 
Uh, but on the other hand, I imagine some shapers are like, oh, you're taking, you're just another uh, company taking business from me. But yeah, I'm just curious what your interactions have been like with that. Um, without going too deep into yeah. it, uh, I think I think they've been like, for the most part, positive. Um, and and there's been no direct negativity towards us. Nobody, I think, surfers are. Well, they, they are very territorial and they have, they're very opinionated. Um, I think that there's also like a level of self-control. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that may feel that way about us, but we've never been directly confronted by anybody. So like that just speaks to some level of respect amongst the community of shapers. Um, for the people that have supported us, that list is extremely long and extremely, um, I mean, my mentor is Carl Eichstrom. I don't know if anybody knows that. I haven't really promoted myself all that much. Kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> kind of a big deal. Yeah, like the, people, the number of people that have shaped inside of Shaper Studios from Roger Heinz to Matt Calvani to um, uh, Chris Christensen to uh, Mike Mitchinson, who just got inducted to the Shapers Hall of Fame in Huntington last weekend, I was there for that. Um, to DHD, uh, Britt Merrick, um, Matt Kinoshita, Danny Hess, Charles Reynolds, Donald Brink. All right, uh, all right, you can keep on bragging. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there, 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 are, there are people that probably don't, um, like Tomo, Ryan Lobo, it's like, I can keep going and going and yeah. going. Uh, there are probably some people that feel like we're a threat, but once, and those are probably people that have never interacted with us and don't know us at all. Um, the people that have have had an extremely positive experience because one thing that's very important to us is that we are a platform for shapers and shaping. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just another avenue where they can um, highlight their craft, they can be considered an influencer, they can share their designs, their ideas, um, their stories, uh, which are, they, they have so many stories to tell usually. Um, one, one of the coolest things that I saw or ways that we were a platform was when Tomo came uh, to our first Shred Talks event hosted by Chris Groh. I think it was like the first time Chris nice. Groh ever met Tomo and now they were just now they work together. together. <laughs> uh, this is this is before Tomo could say anything about just working with Kelly Slater and all of that. Um, Mark, we we so we filmed the event as live at Shaper Studios in front of our membership, probably like fifty or sixty people there. Uh, Chris Crow set up an amazing interview with Tomo. We recorded the whole thing. We had Q and A going on. It was our first attempt at that is a series called Shred Talks. And Mark Price took the video the next day and send it out to all his retailers and it was like, hey, here's some cool content of this guy, Tomo, who's one of our shapers, like uh, just sharing his ideas and his approach and some questions and it was content that Tomo could use, Fireware could use, Shaper could use, the community embraced, like it was a platform for everyone else and yes, we got something out of it, we're a business, we have to, but there was a lot of residual uh, benefit that came from that and that's the kind of that's the kind of approach we've always taken. We're not trying to take anything away from the board building community. We're trying to add value. Um, so, yeah, I mean that sort of additive 
uh, inclusive quality. I was I was struck by uh, when we put together the the it doesn't not work design symposium where we're looking at the roster of shapers. It was um, almost all men who were contributing, and that's been the case uh, in years past. But um, and and for for the organizers, we're looking to expand that to get get more in touch with female shapers and promote them. And I guess we just in the East Coast that seemed to be a little bit of a harder task for this event. Although we had uh, a few really good ones, Grace Moon. Uh, namely, showing off her boards, but but just going back to the the workshops that you guys doing under this theme of like big tent, um, you I remember you, when that question was tossed out to the panel, you mentioned that you guys do a lot of programming that is accessible for for women to get involved in the shaping process. Could you sort of give our listeners a bit of what that process is and your thoughts about? more, uh, you know, challenging that gender gap in the, in the shaping bay? Yeah. Um, I think I answered the question by saying, like just kind of referring to the number of women that we've shaped with over the years. Um, it's, it's quite a few. Um, and my experience with females that are attempting shaping or, or learning shaping is that they, they are very successful out of the gate. Um, they, they have an innate ability to be creative um, and they're open to how to use the tool and um, they're very teachable. Um, and so we've invested a lot in female surfing in general over the years, but um, tried to make all of our venues very female friendly. Um, and I can give specific examples of stuff we've done late night of surfing featuring female. We think of the first one we ever did. We had four or five female shapers from Southern California um, featured with a movie premiere by the Dawson. She did a short, and then we we uh, featured the Nike 6.0 movie. This was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, that was the first one we did, and then we've done that every year with panels of women, um, whether they're um, speaking on behalf of like politics or um, women entrepreneurs, um, common thread being that they're all women servers, but um, you know, Jen Smith's been a good, a big part of our program in San Diego. Um, we have a couple females down in Chile that have been um, a, a great part of building the female culture, surf culture down there. Um, Vancouver is, I was, I was blown away by the first time I went to Tokino and saw in the parking lot, suiting up in a full suit, it was about half men and women. Um, the, the women's surf scene in Tofino is out of control. Um, and it's in like, almost like an equal to men up there, which is is crazy. Because if you look at it, we've had like maybe three going on four generations of surfers here in Southern California. Uh, over there, they're kind of... There were some pioneers, but you could say for the most part, surfing is brand new in that part of um, Canada. And so you have both females and males learning how to surf together, entering the sport together, designing community together, um, the queen of the peak contest. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think it's this weekend, even, um, is one of the coolest swimming surf events on the planet. Um, what yeah, we do awesome. specifically is um, a couple years ago, we have, we have a surf contest called Shaper Festival Surfing. And what we did last year, uh, not this year, but the year before, is we we invited 10 uh, the top female longboarders in, and we funded all of their shaping lessons, their, their surfboard, all for the contest. Wow. We could have a women's professional lock division. And these are the same female surfers that are doing the duct tape events and they're doing the uh, Mexi Law Test and the DS 9 foot single, like the same roster of, of women, but we wanted to make sure that they felt comfortable and invited in. And that translated into the next year, they, they had boards, um, some of them took them to Japan for different events. Like we really tried to invest in getting more females into the bay at, at the entry level and also at the professional level. Chris, um, kind of on, on a similar, not the same topic, but you mentioned something about getting some of the pros in the shaping bay, the female pros, but in general, do you, do you ever get pros come in to learn to shape? People who've been surfing professionally or close to that level for a long period who've never shaped and, and come in, and what's their experience like if they do come in? Um, I see some laughing in the background, so you have some good stories, I imagine, then. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the, the first the first interaction I had, uh, besides Jen Smith, who's just insanely good at whatever she does, so that's kind of like, <laughs> she, did, she didn't even take a lesson. Well, she, <laughs> she hangs with, uh, with uh, you know, with uh, Martin. You know, Josh Martin, doesn't she? Like, she rides for him. Like, uh, she must have... She, she's, a, she's a Takayama girl. Takayama. So she, um, she spent some, some time in the bay with Donald. and um, But she came in the shaper without having shaped ever before. And wow. She got a few tips here and there, but she likes to just... Like, if you interrupt her while she's shaping, she kind of just stops and looks at you like, when are you going to get away? Like, when are you going to get back to shaping? It's her, it's her zone time and... Um, she makes incredible boards, um, but other than that, I think the first the first one was uh, Tori Tori Meister. Nice. Uh, we were shaping at like I don't know, like twelve or one in the morning, something super late at night, and we got to like the end of the board, and he's like he's like, oh, so concave, like how did what what should we do? And I was like, well, what do you normally know write? He's like, I don't know, I think it's like a single or double concave or whatever, and I was like, okay, well, like, what do you want to do on this board? Is this, is this kind of like that same sort of board? Like, what are you trying to do? And he's like, I, I really don't even know what a single or double is. And I'm sitting there, like, teaching this guy who's an incredibly talented surfer um, about single concave and double concave and what they do and how they perform. And that was, like, the first time it was really eye-opening um, as far as like how disconnected some surfers can be at that highest level yeah. from their equipment and that and um how special that is that i had the opportunity to share that with them and, and 
maybe how to pin, how to do protection with surfing, just because of an understanding of how the equipment works. Um, there's other people that have come in, like Josh Kerr, who like they want to get super experimental, but they know exactly what they want mm-hmm. um, and just kind of go for it. So I've had kind of like the run of it um, from men and women, but we do very, very little with elite or professional surfers. Um, it's not really our demographic. We kind of do it more as like a, a specialty thing in by um, we kind of we kind of um, do them every once in a while um, for an event or just to capture content or create a story around it. Um, yeah. Who's the worst? <laughs> <laughs> you know who who's who has the shaky hand with that planer? <laughs> shaky hand. Uh, I don't know. Everyone's been pretty pretty good about the planer. We have like a way of teaching that's um, kind of our go-to. We have people run the planer with with it on the zero depth for a little while. Nice. Um, like that's just like an easy trick that Great you don't have to turn it on full yeah. depth and take off an eighth of an inch right away. Like you can get a feel for the weight of it and how it sounds, how it feels, um, kind of it leveling out, how it pushes the plank around with it on zero zero cut, it's not going to cut anything. And I think that that's like, we have them like walk back and forth and get their crossover steps going and figure out where the cord is going to trip them up or, or anything, you know, like make sure they know how to, how to feel comfortable with it. And then we're like, okay, let's, let's actually turn the dial. Let's, let's cut something, you know, and at that point they're just a little bit more friendly with it. So we do things to kind of, there's like to cross over those barriers without it being so intimidating. Can you go back to what you just said? I was thinking about watching you and some other shapers. The footwork. Is that what you meant by crossover steps? Yeah. The, uh, the, the tendency is to want to shuffle your feet. So as you walk down the board, keeping the plane in front of you, like you shuffle, but every time you bring your feet together, your body stops. You stop that momentum and stop that flow. And so you want to walk like you normally walk in everyday life. Like, step over step. Um, it just so happens in surfboard shaping, it's kind of the crossover step of the longboarder. So it's kind of fun when you equate, you're like, hey, do a crossover step. And the joke is like, you're practicing longboard uh, crossovers. You know, it's the yeah, same exact motion. I, um, I wonder if that's where cross-stepping came from. We're going to have to uh, <laughs> talk to Matt Warshaw, maybe, right? Like... I mean, that could be the origin of cross-stepping. Uh, did we just discover it right here? There you, you, know? go. you go. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk to Matt Warshaw and ask him, but uh, I think I think that's a very plausible uh, hypothesis. <laughs> let's, let's jump into what you like to shape personally. Um, you, con- you contributed to the zine that was attached to the It Doesn't Not Work. And you answered one of our questions, which was, and we had some crazy questions. One, one was, what is a reoccurring dream that you have? We asked Shapers to answer that question. You wrote that, uh, that your son will one day ask, Dad, why did everyone used to ride symmetrical surfboards? <laughs> what, talk about this utopian vision you have and talk about uh, 
your love of uh, asymmetrical board. It's utopian or dystopian? Well, I depend depends. I Self-ending depend. things here. <laughs> oh, man. You just opened up a can of worms. Uh, ah, they're all over! <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there when it comes to me waiting on asymmetry, but that is my focus. Um, and more specifically, high-performance asymmetry, which I um, haven't seen too many people do and if if it, if it's out there then I'll probably um, stop shaping entirely because uh, I feel like I have a maybe a contribution to make when it comes to high performance asymmetry um, and that's really one of the only reasons I um, I don't say the only reason I shape but the only reason I shape commercially if that makes any sense? Like, the, wow. any reason why I shape for other people? Turn uh, if it was just shape, I love shaping for myself. Like, if I could just shape my own boards and never shape a board for anyone ever, like, that's, that would be my number one. But because of this design concept that I have, I feel like there is a, a purpose for me shaping for, um, to push this design and for the exact answer to that question, which was, um, I truly do believe that, um, you know, one day my, my kid will ask me, my son, he's three and a half now, um, you know, in 27 years when he's a little bit older, he'll, he'll like pause and say, you know, it, I equate a lot to like the golf club. Like we're, we create a, a piece of sporting equipment that is absolutely, um, should be designed around your stance because you're either right forward or left foot forward. And in golfing, you're either right-handed or left-handed. The golf club is asymmetrical um, if you look at the, the club face. Um, and for some reason, our surfing equipment is not designed for our stance. And, and it just, if you just start with that as a starting point, it makes zero sense why you have a symmetrical surfboard. Um, unless, of course, you're longboarding and you, you do know how to ride switch stance, which uh, I'm all about, or your buttons. Mm-hmm. Was a phenomenal switch stance surfer and or Corey Golovinto. I mean, there's a couple of exemptions here, or Dan Man. Um, there's a couple of people who can ride equally good both ways. Uh, Jeff Clark's another one, but gotcha. these are freaks of nature, and like the majority of us are not. Um, what's so, all the, what's, um, that's kind of my yeah, what are the yeah, obstacles? Right. Why, why haven't we segued more to, you know, that's a great analogy with golf clubs. Because it's not retail friendly, Ben. <laughs> I, you'll have to explain that to me. It seems like it's even more retail friendly. It's, I think it's not retail friendly from a surf shop's perspective because you have to buy for goofy foot and regular foot now. Whereas if you buy a symmetrical board, you can sell it to both a regular foot and goofy foot. So it hasn't taken off. Uh, I think because of the, um, because one, surfers are conservative. Two, surf shops, it would require them to have to really think about the boards they're buying in terms of how many regular foots to goofy foots there are. And I think as internet and online shopping and things like that, and as shapers connect directly with their customers as opposed to surf shops, that's where you'll probably see the change on, uh, from a from a, a someone who worked ran a surf shop, that's that's it, my guess at least. I don't know. I could be off, completely wrong, Chris. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I have an entire 
probably twenty page manifesto that answers all those questions. <laughs> yes, um, is it online? Can we download it? <laughs> no, it's not public information, and it won't be. But uh, <laughs> and, yeah, that, that's definitely one of the challenges. You have to look at manufacturing challenges. Um, you have to then from there manufacturing. You have to go through marketing challenges. Then you have to go through retail challenges, uh, consumer education. Um, so there's a there's a lot after you figure out what is the winning design. Um, then there's all these challenges you have to go through as far as the market is concerned. And one of those, I'll, I'll try to only address the one you brought up, which is the retail challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my counter to that would be, I don't want to be the golf shop that sells the symmetrical golf club mm-hmm. and puts my customers at a, at a disadvantage just because I'm not willing to carry the proper inventory for both right-handed golfers and left-handed golfers. So if I were a surf shop, I wouldn't want to put surfers at a disadvantage just because it's, it's challenging for me. Um, unless you want to get waves. <laughs> Sorry. What's that? I said unless you want to get waves, you can put them as, at a disadvantage then if you're running that shop and you need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's just, you know, kind of my, my vision of it is just the industry has a lot left to um to do and this is where i see you know if i'm able to make a contribution this this is probably where it's going to be um and it's for a lot of, it's most of it's education most of it's um trying to get the message out there and there's there's uh it's pretty crazy how Carl patented the asymmetrical surfboard in 1967 and you still cannot buy one in the store today. Like, that blows my mind when you think about the functionality of it from what I first, my first position was that it should be uh, based on your stance. Um, I don't think, <laughs> this might be a controversial statement, but I don't think Carl's figured it out yet. Um, and that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, that it's it's not available, and I don't think many like large scale surfboard manufacturers have figured it out yet, um, which they could very easily. Didn't um, um, I, didn't SurfTech explore a model with with uh, Carl a few years ago, an asymmetrical? I think they actually had yeah. tried that, right? They did, yeah. It, so it, did Hydroflex? Uh, Hydroflex yeah. uh, Oceanside did a model with Carl. Um, SurfTech did a model with Carl. Um, you can ask Carl what his opinion is on <laughs> the successfulness of those, but uh, yeah, you can't you can't buy those anymore. So that's totally yeah. right there. Like, yeah, it's sometimes you know, hard to be first. Some, something's not right. Yeah. Um, so I think if I if I can get like a one on one with a surfer, yeah, like they'll leave the conversation going like, wow, like mind blown I need to pursue this a little bit more um, and yeah I just think there's a, a lot still there to unpack but there one more thing that I will say about it is um, like I said my focus is not just asymmetry it's high performance asymmetry yeah. um, that's, that's the key because what a lot of the asymmetrical boards out there today represent is it doesn't validate asymmetry at at the highest level and until it's validated at the highest level 
it's not going to um, command respect amongst the masses. And if you really want to make a movement, it has to get out from the one-off custom ASINs or the fancy, colorful-looking ASINs mm -hmm. or the ones that look cool and, and people with a lot of money can afford to experiment with these beautiful boards. But it doesn't validate them. Like, you're not going to get the average show to say, yes, that board actually has functional value add and I have to have one if I want to be surfing. Uh, not at the highest level, because if you look at an amateur surfer, they, they're honest with themselves. They're, they're not going to ever be on the pro tour, but they're very similar. I mean, you're about to golf again. They're very similar to golfers. And that when the new big birthday club comes out, guess who's buying that? Like every yeah, single yeah, yeah. amateur golfer on the planet because they want that edge. They want that competitive edge. Um, so it actually it actually will work once the, the messaging is, is correct. Well, isn't uh, Album, though, doing some sort of collab with uh, Al Merritt with uh, Channel Islands? I thought I saw that he's been, you know... Uh, uh, you know, it's been, what is it, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Album? Oh, I'm so bad at names right now. Um, but uh, he's been... Donald, 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 Donald did collab with Channel Islands, and, um, That's Matt it. Parker's so, been doing Matt a lot of, yeah. a lot of asymmetry as well. Um, and I think Donald especially has a, a really, has actually, um, added a lot of insight to my asymmetrical exploration and, and has a very unique approach to asymmetry and a lot of things that uh, everyone should kind of like listen up and, and latch on to. However, uh, again, Donald's doing a lot of fishes and eggs and he's doing um, a lot of custom work. Mm -hmm. um, custom, like, one-on-one, -on -one, let me go surfing with you, let me build a custom surfboard and, and sell you a custom experience, and at the same time, highly functional. Mm -hmm. um, but he, but his, and, and maybe I haven't seen exactly what the trajectory is with Channel Islands, but um, I don't think uh, it's, it's at the scale that it needs to be um, to actually make a lasting change. And I think if that's, if the end goal is to educate the most people possible about the benefits of asymmetry, it needs to be done in the right way. And it's like a very delicate message. Because if you ask anybody, I'd say like 9.9 people out of 10 that I, I that show one of my boards, like, oh, asymmetry, I've seen that. So that's only, that board only goes left, right? <laughs> like that is the number one misconception about asymmetry. And the shapers that are doing asymmetrical boards are not doing enough, in my opinion. To, to educate and, and let people know that, that that's not the case. Um, and I think we all have a job to do when it comes to, there's a lot of work to do. Um, so. I think, I think uh, maybe I, a name change. Well, I think, I think a lot of it actually is you need a, um, this is a salesman now speaking, you need a gimmick of sorts to convince people that asymmetry is better for them. Like, when I uh, used to fit people with footbeds for skiing, right, you would, you would do things like, oh, try to balance with your foot kind of uh, one foot a little uneven from the other one. 
And then you, you'd push them, and they would fall over much easier than when they were grounded and had, like, a, a footbed underneath them. They do things to demonstrate to people why they need that technology. And I think there's, there's – I know I hate saying the word gimmick, but I think there's a gimmicky way to, to turn people onto it to show them, like, your body is not, not symmetrical at all. And you, you know, from all your injuries and how you carry yourself and how you walk, like, everything is totally – not the same on on your legs or anywhere, and it, it it just makes sense to me, like the asymmetrical board design. I think you just have to find some sort of way to 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 a, a simple way for people to get it. Uh, that's that's that would be my suggestion at least. We we can talk about it off air. You know, I've got, I've got plenty of ideas for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to. I want to talk about some. Ben and I both want to yeah. talk about something. Um, glassing. Do you teach any glassing and laminating at all? Because to me, that is actually probably one of the most important uh, skill sets, uh, and actually has one of the greatest effects on the boards. I think. And and it, from what I've heard, and from like listening to Surf Splendor, even Dave has even said there might be like a shortage of laminators. I know around here there is, so I was just kind of curious. Like, do you do you delve into that, and what are your thoughts on that whole process? I personally love glassing. Um, I love every aspect about it, even though aspects that people uh, don't think are as glamorous, uh, from sanding to you know taping off the cutlass to um, Color matching. I mean, like every aspect of color, as a clear, um, like there's there's nothing like getting like a spotless, clear, nice, tight lamb on a board, and there's also nothing like a gloss and polish color cut out, uh, kind of waterman skill style board. But um, I'll, I'll, the caveat is, yeah. I only enjoy doing that on my boards. <laughs> Well, why is that? Is there something about doing it for someone else that just feels like you're doing yeah, it? Yeah, it, it, it's the difference between a job and, a, and like a hobby or a passion or yeah. you know something that gets you excited. Like when it becomes a job, damn, that's a hard job. Yeah, right. Because like just take standing for you. That's the easiest one to, to, to pick out. Is like showing up for work and there's a bright-ass Baby, you need to jump in, throw on a respirator and a suit, and like gear up and just plow through 20 sand jobs, like mindlessly. Like, that sounds like not so much fun. Uh, for, for people that you're never gonna meet and never gonna like have a relationship with, uh, you don't know where those boards are going. Are they going to a shop? Are they going to the cuss? Like, you don't know. You just come in and knock out your, your part. Um, there's probably worse jobs on the planet, but um, if, if you're just talking about surfboard building, it, it, it loses a lot of its appeal when it becomes a job. And so for us, when we started Shaper Studios, we, we quickly realized like, that was our weakness. Like, we weren't able to sit there and, and be a manufacturer. We wanted to be surfers who have this greater connection with the sport of surfing and that was done through this art and this craft and pushing yourself and exploring that within your own boards and your own designs and and really empowering other surfers to have that experience with surfing um so i 
love all those aspects, but I won't be going to do them on my board. Um, as far as teaching goes, we we do teach uh, glassing, and that is where people come out of that lesson, that experience. Traumatized. Uh, most respect <laughs> for, price, for like the price that they pay for surfboards. Yeah. Uh, for laminators, for sanders, for for thinners, like for, for everyone in the process. And I think people like Ryan Lovelace, they they really support places like Shaper because what it really does is enlightens surfers to how much of an art form this is and how valuable it is to see a board that has high quality, that's completely built by hand. Um, so hopefully that answers your yeah, question there. I think we were we were talking about this before we jumped on, on air about how I was thinking, oh, it's like the bass player and band. Like everyone wants to be the guitarist, but we need bass players. Like I used to play in bands and always was looking for bass players if mine was out of commission. But it's like, th like they're so important to this process if you're not a one-stop shop. And I guess in a way, it's like just going back to a market question. Um, we, you know, we there is a shortage in the East Coast of glassers, or there's there's like a few glassers that people are really dedicated to, but it seems like there's always a backlog yeah. of work, and you know that could that's like a career that seems like an opportunity for me or for 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 opening this up. Yeah, um, we we will be shutting down all glassing operations internally within the next uh, three months. We, wow. we won't be doing any more glassing in-house. Uh, we won't be doing any more lessons or teaching for the foreseeable future. We're just cutting that out of our business model wow. um, entirely, which is sad, but also essential to focusing on what it is that is our, um, yeah. what you do our, our, our focus. We, yeah. we need to focus on, on what it is and it doesn't really change. Most people come to Shaper Studios to have to inform their design and, and go through the shaping process. I'd say like one out of 50 people sign up for the glassing lesson. So it's a small fraction of customers that are seeking out such an intimidating, like you think shaping is intimidating to go through? Like think about somebody coming in and saying like, I'm going to glass my own board and I'm going to pay a premium for that. Like, it's, it's really, really intimidating, and we've done a great job. It's actually probably been one of our most profitable items that we've sold because um, we do market at such a premium, and it's a great experience. It's a, the people who go through one of our glassing lessons, those are some of the most beautiful boards that come out of our shops because they're so dialed and they're so, um, you know, we take the time to do everything just perfectly, and the customer is just blown away by the experience they get. Um, but it's just not part of the future. But we just don't have, we're not going to have the footprint at these high rent locations, like beachfront, Main Street, like these sort of locations are not going to lend itself to manufacturing. Yeah. And so we're either going to have to, in Montreal, for example, our surf cafe is on the, uh, the hottest street in the entire city two hours down from the number one restaurant in all of Canada. Yes. Like it's not cheap rent to be there. And so our lamination facility is about 10 minutes away um, 
where the rent is, you know, 50 cents a square foot, something like that. So that's a model. We need to partner with a glass shop that specializes in that. Um, or we have to get a facility um, not in our flagship proper to do those. Um, so going forward, it won't be something that we offer. Well, I just can't wait till the day when we have closed cell foam boards that you can just go ride, bring in, and be like, ah, oh, I think it, the rail's a little hard. I'm going to shave it down and then pedal back out and don't need the glass. <laughs> One day, one day. <laughs> oh, there, from the technology side, there's so much. I mean, I hear about so much going on as far as, you know, to that point. To, um, I was listening to one of, I think, Scott Bass's recent podcast where he talked about some machine down in south of the border that can fully sand a board. No. Uh, something like that, which, yeah, I mean, like, it's like, there's going to be, I've always dreamed of that. Like, if you just put this thing through a machine and just hands it perfectly, like, that'd be, it's, that'd be it, incredible. But It's funny because, like, I I look at, like, the ski industry. I, I came from a bit of that background. And, like, the skis, you know, go through this big round hoop with fiberglass string all around it. And it just, like, turns around as the ski goes through and it just wraps it completely super airtight with, uh, with these fiberglass, you know, kind of like strands. And so it makes like a triaxle braid or, you know, or biaxle braid or whatever. And then they just vacuum bag it. It doesn't even require any sanding. It's like, I feel the tech is there. It's just the cost, I think. Yeah. I, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just saw, and I just saw today on something about uh, using wool instead of fiberglass uh, to laminate boards, and FireWire is exploring that right now. So, Very cool. Pretty exciting stuff. Well, Chris, um, our hour is up. We've run a little past it, um, so we're gonna have to close it. But we're gonna end with a couple fun little questions, right, Ben? That's right. All right. Because these other ones have been pure drudgery. Yeah. Yeah. Really tough. Yeah. Sorry for the like, super businessy. Uh, you just got a little little uh, diversity here on the podcast. I guess. No, we but, like um, it. We, we like, like it. it. That's we, a raw yeah, well, coming back. Some weeks we have dumb we'll servers and some weeks we have smart surfers. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to say who the dumb All right. Let's have, let's have some fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If you had to choose... No. <laughs> ben, after you, sir. No, you jump in. Oh, I've been hogging it already. Um, okay. Who are, who are some of your shape your your shaping influences besides Carl Ekstrom, as we know? Ooh, besides Carl... Uh, yeah, it would have been too easy. Let's see. Uh, I'm really... Let's see, who do I love to follow? Um, I love to follow different people for different reasons. Um, I would say I, I really love Daniel Thompson. Um, yeah. I, I like how savvy he is and how um, he's not, like, he's, he's contributing something in a very meaningful way. I really like that. I think, um, I'm just going on the fireware list, but Dan Man, I think, is... Light years above everyone else right now. Um, wow. And it'll just be a matter of time before he um, gets credit for 
wow. for some of his stuff that he's doing. He's getting it. He's like Slater's riding a bunch of his boards lately, it seems like. So it's getting there. Yeah. Uh, my prediction is that um, this is 2019 will be his breakout year and it'll be Slater's go-to model. But that's just my prediction. Nice. Anyone else? So I know the restaurant down from your Montreal shop. Now, is there ever a temptation to leave Joe B for, um, um, what is that bar next to it? I've had many, many a nice cocktail there. What, what, what's, what's the policy on, uh, libations, uh, around in the shaping bay, given how social your, uh, your operations are and how community, uh, based they are. Uh, people like to get a little loose. Oh, yeah. We, we highly encourage people to enjoy themselves and do so in a pretty, pretty safe environment. Um, we have, I think, <laughs> we, we were told this like year one, actually even before we started, like, like we're, we're like good at making surfboards, but we're really great at throwing parties. <laughs> uh, people have been People have been known to like really. We, for example, we just uh, we just did our summer kickoff in Vancouver. I think it's like first the second weekend of June every year, and this year every year it gets bigger and bigger. The whole free city comes out to support it. This year sold out a thousand tickets to our little two thousand square foot surf shop, and I think we sold out a thousand tickets in like two days. Uh, it was just a part. Um, and obviously there's live shaping going on, DJs, club bands, uh, movie premiere, Patagonia, like, we actually, like, do the whole works, but it's, it's this whole, like, bringing together the community, in Vancouver especially, there's no place for surfers to go in the city and, like, hang out and meet other surfers, and in Southern California, we're spoiled, like, there's a surf art show, a movie premiere, uh, a meetup, like, every day, every night of the week, like, you're going to like two or three at night sometimes. Um, and uh, in a lot of these communities, they're starved for that. Um, so we've always done a really good job of, of throwing the community events. That, that sounds, I want to get invited to that. Yeah, I know. I, um, my last question, or last two questions. What's your return policy? <laughs> <laughs> And and when are you opening up in New York? There we go. <laughs> return policy, like a return flight to New York, or like you trying to return a surfboard? <laughs> return a surfboard. What return policy? This thing's a piece of shit. What it doesn't ass- work. <laughs> what asshole shit this? Oh me. Sorry. Uh, I would I would say uh, I would say if it if it doesn't not work. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, nice. I don't know. Um, we never had somebody come back and try to return something, um, <laughs> but uh, we try just... to make everyone like you know happy with their experience or get them if they're not happy with their experience, like make sure that we we rectify that in some way. There's another shaping lesson or or some way to, to compromise, but you know, everyone seems to have a good time. At the end of the day, they go for themselves, so um, kind of have 
back to fall back on. But we we've just done a really good job of making sure that experience is really heightened and people progress. Because I think they're not their expectations on their first project are not super high. And I would also say like <laughs> this goes for people that come through Shaper Studios or not. Uh, the second board is always the hardest. Mm. Uh, your first one, you take a full lesson, you get full immersion, have somebody holding your hand. The second one, when you're a little bit more on your own, you just walk into the room and stare at the blank, and you're like, wait, where do I begin? <laughs> That's the word, kind of the trickiest. So um, the first one always comes out really good. It's the second one where you let the person go a little bit where they um, kind of feel uh, out of the element. Nice. And well, when are you coming to New York, man? When 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 are we opening? Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to to plan a flag in New York. Um, so if you talk to anyone who's interested in the community who I just got to kind of get introduced to last month, if the community is begging for it, we'll be there. Like no doubt we're we're ready to to do big things and, and add value to different search communities. But um, yeah, like we talked about before, just getting that buy-in from the, from the locals and we'll show up. Let's go. Chris Clark, <laughs> thanks for being so game. Thanks for calling in and um, thanks for your work. Thank you so much. Come on, get a visit soon. You got it. So Ben, I'm going to see you in about a day and a half. Yeah, so we will be in Asbury Park at the Asbury Park Yacht Club at 8 p.m. this Thursday. Gianca Lazarus and John Apito. Uh, and yeah, that's going to be a fun, fun discussion. And there will be beers. And, uh, and also, we're, we're also fundraising for a great cause. That's right. Former guest, Changing Tides Foundation. That's correct.